and welcome to Sustain. We are here at Fossey today in Portland. And for this podcast, I'm joined by a couple of people. And just to get it started, I'm going to let them do what they do best. So for the first time, adjust your ears to this. Thank you so much. That was really exciting. It was the first time we've had music on this podcast. That was Timmy Barnett and Devin Olbari. So thank you so much for the beautiful guitar and violin. Now, Devin, what do you do with Music Blocks? <laughs> so Music Blocks is a uh, visual programming language for music, and we've been working on it for like 10 years or so. So mainly it's been a collaboration between various members of the Sugar Labs community. Cool. Sugar Labs is now a nonprofit and it focuses on free software learning activities and programs mainly for kids and for teachers to use in classrooms. And so Music Blocks is a visual programming language so it combines music and computation so they can explore musical concepts as well as computational concepts and it's amazing how much overlap there is between those two subjects so how did that get started it got started mainly because i went to a talk that walter bender was giving walter bender is a co-founder for sugar labs so i was interested in his work because i became interested in free software in education specifically. And I attended his talk because he was talking about Sugar Labs, which basically empowers kids with free software so that they're not just like users, but they can potentially be contributors. And I kind of came up with a theory that if you gave kids these four freedoms to study the software, to use the software, to modify the source code and redistribute either verbatim copies or modified versions of the software that they could really learn a lot. Whereas in a classroom where they can't do those sorts of things, they can't really learn how the software they use on a daily basis works. You know, I went to his talk and then afterwards I sent him an email and unbeknownst to me, he was interested in collaborating with musician to create what is now music blocks. I mean, at the time I didn't realize what we were getting ourselves into. So just over the years from that point, we've been collaborating and there's been more than 150 contributors to the project so far. Cool. Also, we got pretty significant grant in Japan and they're interested in using it in their public schools system because they have a mandate that in all of the elementary schools nationally, they will learn programming. And so through like two rounds of national funding, we made some improvements, also 
created some curriculum materials in Japanese in collaboration with Gaken, which is a publishing company in Japan. So it's a journey. <laughs> That's amazing. That is so cool. So Music Blocks, it helps you learn how to do music and sort of code at the same time is my yeah. conception of it. Does there different instruments you can play with? Like, is there kids with a shamisen right now, like using it? You can certainly do that. So cool. like you can set the instrument, anything you like. You can even like record a sample of a sound yeah. and then that can be your instrument. So like if you have like your guitar or your shamisen or whatever, you could record like one note and you could say, well, that note is tuned to this pitch and then it'll change the pitch over whatever pitch you want. And that'll be like your new instrument if you want. <laughs> That's awesome. Sugar Labs is really, really cool. It's a 501c3. I normally know about it from its large use in Nigeria. Actually, we've had a few people on from Sugar Labs there. Yeah. I think Samson Gauda used to work at Sugar Labs. Yeah. Samson and Ibium. Yeah. Ibium's the best. Gemini is so cool. Can you tell me a bit more about, you said you don't work at Music Blocks, but you obviously do some sort of paid work somehow. So how does that work? Like, Where's the funding going? I am a, a musician. That's where I got all my degrees. I got my first day job starting January 11th of last year. I now work at the Free Software Foundation, but I did help incorporate Sugar Labs. Thank you. I know, worked with a lawyer to, and then the rest of the board to get it incorporated. So now it's its own entity, filled out the IRS paperwork. So now it can accept donations. So if you can donate, please do so that we can spread what we do around the world. I love that. How many people use Sugar Labs at the moment? It's impossible to really know. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> because of the nature of free software, we could distribute it, but also like other people can distribute it. Triskel has its own distribution. I don't really have a way of giving you a good number of that, but I have traveled the world and I've seen kids, for example, in like Thailand using like Exo laptop, one laptop for child laptops and they're running sugar operating system. And I think there's not nearly enough people in the U.S. using sugar operating system. You know, I have a kid. He just turned six. He, for example, like in his class, use sugar operating system than what was typically given to kids in classrooms across the U.S. I don't think you can really learn that much from iOS or Chrome, but sugar OS is like built for kids to explore and learn from the ground up. I did get an Exo laptop. It was like a hand-me-down from Walter. Unfortunately, they're like not making any new ones, which is really unfortunate. But I had one and I gave it to him like maybe when he was as young as like three or four. And I think it really did help him learn how to read. There was like a period of time where he was walking around looking at all the words on books around the house and, and other places. And he would type it in to the computer and it would have him speak it back to him. Yeah. This was like kind of at a critical moment in his life. And after like a couple of months, he was like reading significantly better. Cool. Because of that. Yeah. And that's just like one of the activities. That's the speak activity. And he was like three or four. But then as he gets older, then there's other activities like Turtle Blocks, which is Music Blocks' predecessor. And I've made some programs for him in that when he was young. So as a father, I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of like set the example by making programs for you. <laughs> that you can use so that making programs just like kind of becomes like a part of the daily routine. <laughs> so I made some for him and he would play around with it. I made like a paint program for him. And my hope is just kind of like naturally he'll 
start making his own programs and he's got the example of me doing it. So that's like the culture, like I would like to inculcate through sugar labs in particular, rather than is the typical paradigm, which is passive. Here's the iPad. It's going to babysit you. You're just going to like watch it. That's its only purpose. You're never going to be able to learn how it works. Yep. I think that's just really terrible for education. Like I can't, like, how are you possibly supposed to like learn anything unless you can like really just open it up and not only that, but tinker with it, like yeah. take some ownership over it. I like that. I like that ethos a lot. I agree with you. I, I guess I have a question around sugar and music blocks, which is you're funded. You talked about that at the beginning and you have a large user base and some name recognition. What are you working on now? What's difficult? What's next? I think that as challenging as developing something like this open-ended tool, like Music Blocks, has been, and then those two rounds of funding, which have ended, that did kind of put us forward. But I think what we need to do is reach critical mass of users. Like it needs kind of like a culture. It needs users that can educate other users, like how to make their own programs and stuff. And so right now we're making, for example, some videos with kids, with students as kind of like the featured hosts of the videos, like explaining how to use music blocks, how to create your own projects. So our biggest challenge right now is getting the word out, educating the public how to use this tool. It's a programming language. So in that way, it's like a complex tool. It's for kids, but it's not like a kid language. Yeah. You know, it doesn't like confine them into, you know, because you're a kid, you can only do these sorts of things. Like it's a full featured programming language. So because of that, it's like when we're getting the word out, it's like, well, it can do this, but it can also do this and it can also do this and it, it can also do this, this and this. It's a web app, but it's a web app that within the web app, you can create web apps, for example. And so that lends itself a little less immediately to an elevator pitch, but it's much better for education. Right now, it's just like, how do we give teachers the tools they need to bring this to their classroom in the best possible way? How do we provide materials so that kids just kind of like traversing the web online can like get what they need so that maybe even if they don't have a teacher, they can get up and running. So that's our biggest challenge right now is like really getting the word out because there's potentially a lot of users that could be benefiting from what we're creating right now. A lot of the musician circles I work in seem to be almost Luddites in their sense of how to deal with technology and they don't want anywhere near them and they'd much rather just be in a circle and play the violin all day, which I think is great, but it sounds like you have the right approach of having an active approach to technology as opposed to a passive approach. Would you consider that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. So in some ways I think of music blocks as like an instrument because you can really use it to create things. It's a tool. In terms of musicians as Luddites, yeah, there's sometimes we do have musicians, teaching artists, I like to call them, because they're musicians who also teach. And sometimes they are a little bit hesitant to use music blocks. You know, whoa, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't go to school to like use this. So, for example, we get students from like Berkeley College of Music and New England Conservatory, and we actually hire them to teach in some classes that we do. And sometimes they're, whoa, you know, what did I get myself into? I hardly do anything on a computer, let alone this. But they do bring a lot 
to this. And I think they bring something that if we just hired someone that is specifically computer science, they wouldn't be able to bring, which is that kind of at the beginning of this podcast, for example, playing music, bringing that kind of like that sound, that feeling that music gives. So a lot of the teaching artists, they'll play some music, they'll teach a musical concept first, Mm. like intervals or scales or something. And they can teach that on like whatever instrument they're familiar with and demonstrate that and also play like an inspiring piece of music. Yep. And then it's like, then we pull out the computers. Now we'll transfer what we just did over to the computers and experiment with that computationally. And then on the other end of that is I think music education, what music education gets out of what we have is that a lot of times in the classroom, when you're teaching a concept, it's very closed ended. Yeah. Um, in a, like a typical music education setting, it's like, we're going to learn this specific thing. For example, like what is composition? The assumption is that you can't compose until like you are able to like write the music down, for example. Yeah. But with music blocks, composition is kind of inherent in the language. You're creating music from the very beginning. You're making projects, which are musical <laughs> projects. So I think music education benefits from having that kind of creative approach from the very beginning and also like kind of like lowering the threshold of exploring these concepts. Yeah. And giving music educators just like another way to teach intervals, scales, all these various concepts that are important to music in a new way. As a fellow educator, I just love everything you just said. I think it's the best. So thank you so much for this work. It's really, really cool. Where can people learn more about Music Blocks online? So there's many different places. There's a blog at musicblocks.net. The net part is important because there are some others. So musicblocks.net. You can go to sugarlabs.org to learn more. I think from those two places, you can kind of get as much other information as you might need. There's links to where you can use it online, for example. There's links to lesson plans online from there. So that should be enough to get you up and running. And where can people learn more about you and your music, Devin? So if you can spell my name correctly, you can go to com. That's where you would learn about me and my music. If you want to learn more about free software, you can go to fsf.org. And we are in the middle of campaign. I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but if you want to become a member, now's a good time to become a member. Cool. Thank you so much. And because you played a tiny bit at the beginning, Timmy, is there a place where we can learn more about your music? Yeah, I play in a band called Mind Parade, and that's local in Portland. And and then for my more of my microtonal music, I play under GNU Linux Loves All. GNU Linux Loves All and Mind Parade. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. It was absolutely excellent to have you and play on. Thank you, Richard. Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you're curious about FOSSI, where these were recorded, go to sfconservancy.org, to the Software Freedom Conservancy's website, where you can learn more about it. It's been really, really fun to be here and have these great conversations about free and open source software. Of course, if you've liked this podcast, please let us know. Like us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it. Email us at podcast at sustainoss.org. Give us any thoughts or comments or queries or complaints. We would love to hear them. And of course, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is the single best way to get more listeners on this podcast. And hopefully you think that that's something we should 
have. If you would like to donate, you can go to Open Collective to sustain OSS, where you can donate to the production cost for this podcast, which is not free. So that would be super, super great. And of course, you can join in the conversation yourself by going to discourse with the same OSS.org to go chat. And you can follow us on Twitter at the same OSS, on Mastodon, and I believe on Blue Sky. So thank you so much for listening and take care. Bye.